0: super talk mississippi media production
1: this is gerard gibbert and thank you for listening to middays here on super talk mississippi
2: this show was previously recorded
0: get ready get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state you're listening to middays with gerard gibbert Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super top Mississippi rocking into hour two of the program. Joining us now, Hank Burdine, board member with the Mississippi Levy Commission. Hank, how's it going today, sir?
3: Well, we're doing pretty good up here in the Delta. Heard y'all got a little taste of what we get up here a good bit. Y'all had a deluge down there in Jackson yesterday. I'm mighty sorry it impacted a lot of folks down there.
1: Yeah, it did. And it wasn't just yesterday. It's been going on for now, I guess, about a week solid, it seems. Really started moving into the area, uh, late last Thursday and, uh, more predicted, I think, 90% chance in central Mississippi today. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, starting to see flash flooding around the area, school closures, uh, roads closed, et cetera. So it's a big old problem, but we wanted to have you on today because it is our understanding that senators Wicker and Hyde Smith and Congressman Thompson held hearings on uh, the pump situation and the flooding in the Delta. And I just wanted to check in with you and see what came of that and what we might expect.
3: Yeah, they did. Uh, Senator Wicker and Congressman Thompson set up a meeting of elected officials uh, at the Corps of Engineers headquarters in Vicksburg. And. this was all set up, and the Council on Eco Environmental Quality, the Presidential Council that uh, they set up with Brenda Mallory. She is the CEQ Chair of it. She came, and uh, Michael Regan, who is the head of the EPA Administration, has been here before and seen everything. He didn't come, but he sent a, a representative. And Michael Connor, who is the uh, assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works. That's big cheese, man. <laughs> he was here, and the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, uh Martha Williams, she's head of that, but she was not here. She sent a representative, and the Department of Interior sent a representative down here. And uh so we had a jam up bunch of folks on this panel. Now, one thing happened when they all flew in and got off the airport. If they were in the middle of, they'd never seen rain like that. So, we were, you know, we're welcome to Mississippi. I mean, this can happen. So, it. we all convened, and I was invited to attend the meeting because of my of, of elected official capacity with sure. the Mississippi Levy Board. Yeah. And after they all said their little things about it, and then Mr. Thompson got up and uh he, he was the original one that threw it back into the EPA's lap uh saying that uh they need to see if this is legal the the uh Trump administration the EPA administration uh project that had gotten to go ahead and was ready to go to work and the EPA said in essence, it's the same program we had that the Bush uh, administration vetoed in 2008.
1: Yeah. So yes. what what uh, could you share with us, Hank, some of the comments and concerns heard from uh, citizens who were able to to uh, speak and, uh, and address the group?
3: Yeah. Let me, uh, if we got a second. Yeah. the Benny Thompson said that uh, we got to follow the law. He went on to say... Hmm that we can still get the pump but we gotta do it within the confines of the legalities of of the EPA and all like this. So I'm saying that Ben and Thompson is still saying we can get the pump.
1: Hm. Okay. Senator
3: Sidney Hyde, Senator Roger Wicker jumped in there. We need these pumps, the the science. We need to follow the science on all this stuff. The Corps of Engineers says we can do this, and we're not hurting the environment. we got a a, a net plus gain out of all this stuff with the new project. Let's go for it. Hmm. And then Representative Cindy Hyde-Smith, I'm taking my hat off, and and I'm going to do a hoo-hoop hooray on this. That lady, that senator lady we have up there has our backs big time. She, she got right up into the, uh, the EPA. She said, what is it that is not following the law? If you can't tell me right now what it is, then I want, as quick as you possibly can, to get me from EPA what it is. I want to know specifics. I want to know what's happening, why we can't get this thing done. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. She is a war horse. And I was mighty proud to be in that room with her and uh and hearing the 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 adamancy that she has in this project. She understands it. So does Wicker. But Cindy Hyde Smith knows what's happening. Okay. Well we got, so after that meeting, the Corps never presented a compromised plan on the latest plan that uh was vetoed by the present administration. There's a new plan out there that is being looked at, that this uh, Council on Environmental Quality is looking at, that will give you a higher elevation for the pumps to kick on at, which is what the environmental group's saying. We need more water. We need more water. But along with that higher elevation that gives more acres underwater, we've got a larger pump system set up, that will take the water off of the affected cropland quicker and will get the cropland dried out. It'll take all the water off of the highways. It'll take all the water off of the sixty-eight six uh, 668 homes that went underwater. That, by the way, is 94% minority-occupied.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So this new scenario falls right into place With everything that they're asking for. Hmm. The environmental groups are asking for more water. Well, you're going to have more water. Uh, And that more water is still 200,000 acres of Delta National Forest and Panther Swamp. How is that good for that environment when you've got six to eight feet of water under all that? But it does allow the wildlife, the deer, the bear, everything else a chance and an opportunity to get to higher ground. It won't be the total decimation that we had in 2019. Hmm. So all of those points were brought up at the meeting in Vicksburg. Then we go to the meeting at the high school in Rolling Fork, and it was a lot of people there of all races and different areas, and uh, they got up and they went to talking. (laughs) And I think that this panel that was there understands now this is an area that is, it, 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 it's is 600-and-something-thousand uh, acres. Yeah, That is a lot of land underwater with the houses, and those people got up and talked about what it was like for six months to have to take their 80-year-old grandmamas back and forth to different places when she couldn't go back to her houses. Hmm. what it did to the businesses, what it did to the farmers, what it did to businesses that supplies all those farmers and everything. And then we had supervisors get up. What it did to the miles and miles of not only the paved roads there that went underwater, but the gravel roads that still hadn't come back yet. That are still being impacted by that. So the panel, I think understood firsthand what, went on in 2019. Now, there's a gentleman named Ty Pinkins that came in with a, uh, he's been passing out uh, flyers saying that the pump won't work. The Corps says the pump won't work, that it won't drain anything. Well, if he wanted everything drained, let's go back to the first plan that would be so Let's drop to elevation. Let's put much bigger pumps in there. You won't ever have a flooding problem down there. Hmm. But this is a compromise situation. And he's saying that there may be there is money out there to help help these people that are impacted. Well if there is, that's fine. Then let's tap into those streams of money to get a little help to these people that were impacted like that through FEMA or through whatever. Right. And but let's also go with the long term solution which is the only solution and that is the pump system. And this new scenario that the core is working out. If they'll get their head out of the sand and the mud and look at it, it meets all of their goals. It's just a matter of them sitting down and saying, Okay, we've heard what's going on. Now let's see, let's look at this new thing and see if it'll work and let's let's go to let's go to work. Let's pull some concrete. Let's
1: Hank, we got we got about a minute left. What's the next step? And do you think we're gonna get a next step? Got about a minute.
3: The next step is this group goes back to Washington and they huddle up and they look at this new proposal by the Corps of Engineers and hopefully they throw politics out of this dead-gone thing and they say, look, Let's do what yeah. needs to be done. Let's don't put a Band-Aid on it and send these folks fifteen hundred dollar check, which won't do anything. Right. Let's go ahead and solve the problem, get these pumps going, and solve the problem for the for, from here on out for
1: the future. Well, hopefully, some true accounts from citizens uh, on the ground there will will move the needle more than um, you know. Just our politicians have been able to do so. Maybe they can use that as amuni- ammunition to get something done. Hank, always a pleasure, sir. Appreciate you coming on the program. And thanks for that great update.
3: Let's stop the rain down there. Thank you. And let's do it some more.
1: Yes, sir. Hank Burdine, board member of the Mississippi Levy Commission, has been our guest here on middays talking about those pumps and the flooding in the Delta. Stay with us. We'll come right back in the Element Well Studios.
2: This show was previously recorded.
5: So, how do you know if you have hail damage? Not all roof damage can be spotted from the ground. Gallo here from experience. Believe me, you need a pro that you can trust to give you an honest assessment of your roof. There's no better team than Watkins Construction and Roofing. You can trust them to give you an honest evaluation. The Watkins team will answer your call 24 seven and give you a complimentary roof inspection and estimate. We'll count on them to get back with you as fast as the next business day. Financing is available. Count on the pros. Watkins six zero one. 966 8233.
6: Magnolia Health is made for Mississippi. A statewide network of specialists and primary care physicians at more than 17,000 locations, community outreach programs, and quality jobs for nearly 400 Mississippians. Our commitment to building healthier communities in Mississippi has never been stronger. Learn more at magnoliahealthplan.com slash benefits.
2: When you choose roto you'll get honest estimates and no hassle guarantees, so you can get it fixed quickly and enjoy peace of mind. We're there for you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, day and night, holidays, and weekends. We've been providing service to Mississippi for over 80 years. Call the original Roto-Rooter, 601-353-3333.
7: Mention this ad to receive $25 off any service.
3: Call Roto-Rooter, that's the name. Got a winkle and down the drain.
8: Roto-Rooter. Hey, this is Bob, and if you're like me, you like dealing with local people. Majestic Metals was founded in Mississippi in 1954 and are headquartered right in Gluckstadt. For complete metal building systems and steel roofing and siding, call the hometown folks. Majestic Metals, 800-647-8540 or online at MajesticMetalsINC.com.
0: This Labor Day broadcast on Super Talk Mississippi is brought to you by Tico Steakhouse. Come dine with us. Tico Steakhouse, where the locals gather. East County Line Road in Richland, 601-956-1030. Need furniture or bedding now? Miss Kelly's Labor Day three-day sale, where you get what you want and then get even more. Friday, Saturday, and Monday. Get savings up to $500 off. Plus, financing for 60 months and walk out without paying. Because there is no money down. Plus, buy a recliner. Get another one free. All this during the Labor Day three-day sale at Miss Kelly's and Ms.
6: Swing into the Sanderson Farms Championship for a good time and a great way to give back. Proceeds from the championship are donated to Children's of Mississippi to support the nearly 180,000 patient visits each year. Last year, $1.5 million were raised for Children's of Mississippi, and more than $300,000 were raised for over 60 additional Mississippi charities. So join us for the Sanderson Farms Championship, September 26th through October 2nd at the Country Club of Jackson.
5: Gallo here with a special invitation to join us weekday morning, 6 till 9. Breaking news, quick shots,
2: analysis, all right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. This show was previously recorded.
0: Check it out. Let's do it. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
9: Raindrops keep falling on my head. But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red. Crying's not for me, cause I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining.
1: Wow, is that ever appropriate bumper I'm music there? <laughs> Welcome back everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well studios. And uh, joining us now, John Sigmund, General Manager of the Pearl River Valley Water Supply District. John, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, we uh, we just been keeping an eye on that Pearl River. I rode over it uh, a couple of days ago uh, there on Lakeland Drive and, and couldn't help but notice how dang high it was. Where do we stand right now? Right now, the uh, the lake is about as full as it's ever been.
9: We've held back enough water that, that now we have... Uh, have concerns about uh, about how full it is. We just this morning got it to turn to where it's not rising anymore. So that uh, that's a good sign. But we are releasing currently 55,000 cubic feet per second, and that will result in a river at the highway 80 gauge of 35 feet. And the Weather Service makes these predictions. I don't, but that's they've got the best scientists and the best computers in the world working on it. And they're usually very accurate. So we hope that by re- increasing the flow right now, we won't have to increase it again through, the, through this event. And that's going to keep water below the magic 35, 5, 36, where it starts going in houses. Oh, okay. All right, so when is that expected to occur, John? That should happen within 24 hours of the this time tomorrow. Okay. Should be
1: at it this time tomorrow. And, and does that also, uh, those models, uh, consider the possibility of more rain? They do account, uh, account for
9: the forecast of the next 24 hours. And as you know, there could, could be more rain after that. So another reason for us to begin uh, lowering the lake as fast as we can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um what about how this compares to prior situations 79 and 83 come to mind? I think those were the highest right those
9: were the two highest of record and it won't this won't compare to them. the uh, 79 went to 43 feet and the 83 went to 39 feet. Uh, this is shaping up to be the ninth biggest on record, but yet, it doesn't matter what the record is if water's getting in your house. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, and most recently, uh, 2020. 2020 is more comparable to what we're facing now, and it'll be less than that, but it's going to be right there. And if you had water in your house or you had concerns about water in 2020, I would advise you to take
1: your precautions now. Okay. Is there anything that your organization has done or can do, uh, say, since 2020 or in the last couple of years to? to try to prevent uh, flooding as a result of the heavy rains?
9: Uh, we have continued to uh, increase our efficiency of of operation and modeling of the of the reservoir. But by and large, it's still the same geometry that we had then. Uh, it literally depends
1: on the duration, intensity, and location of the rainfall. Sure. Makes sense. And, and so uh, it, you said you mentioned 2020, and that's the one I uh, most recently remember and And uh, I know that got a lot of the Jackson area, the low-lying areas in Jackson, and and, uh, even some of the areas, uh, especially around the reservoir, the backwater area there, uh, between the dam and the the lake. Uh, Is that, I guess, the same areas that are, again, vulnerable here?
9: Yes, they are. Now, let's look back at 2020. When that uh, started, we had the lake way down. The lake was... Down to two ninety six okay. to help battle the giants of which, by the way, we beat. And so I had a couple of feet of storage to work with then that I don't have now. Okay,
1: gotcha. I, I understand. So you just got less you can hold, which means you got to pour more out, and that uh, hits us downstream. Yeah, it does. And, and and I talk to people.
9: They call and have concerns, and I try to tell them. You know, you need to be prepared. You need to take, make your plan, execute your plan, because the water will come.
1: Yeah. All right, what about uh, further downriver? Uh, obviously, the, the Jackson Metro area is the one that, I guess, since we live here, we think about the most. But the, the river, of course, continues on down south Mississippi, southwest Mississippi. Yes, we have
9: um, concerns with Monticello, Columbia, uh, Bogalusa. All of those river cities have situations where uh, the reservoir eventually affects them. Not quite as much as they believe, but it does affect them. Uh, however, in this storm, a lot of the storm went south, and they were at flood stage before we began increasing discharges uh, here. Ah, uh, Okay, so
1: this just exacerbates that. It just makes it worse. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about uh, any interaction your organization, John, has with the National Weather Service? Are you trying to anticipate Oh, events yes. like this yes. and how how, like how far out in advance did they give you any kind of heads up on what we're experiencing right now
9: it varies but depending on the storm event this one i got a day's advance notice <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gee, <thanks. laughs> and we work with the weather service uh, in fact during high flow periods like this we have a conference call each morning with the weather service u.s geological survey corps of engineers mema often the city of jackson's in on those calls And we we coordinate what we're going to do, and I'll make a proposal of what I think we need to do, and everybody gets a chance to say, oh, that's going to be an adverse effect or we think that's the thing to do. In the end, the Pearl River Valley Water Supply District makes the decisions.
1: Okay. Uh, And make the decisions as far as how much water to let out of the lake into the river specifically? You guys control that, right? Yes. And... Uh, is there is there a board? Tell tell us how it's organized. The uh, the district itself.
9: The district is a state agency, and it is uh, embodied in a statute. Uh, we're body politic and corporate. You know that yep. means a lot to to the lawyers. Yep. <laughs> but we have a board of fourteen members appointed by the governor, the supervisors, and some
1: of the state agencies. Okay. And and so. Are, do you have meetings, John, to, to discuss I- exactly how to regulate the water flow? And there, is there a vote on that, or how the, does that work? The board sets the
9: broad policy. Okay. They leave it up to me to yeah. execute. Yeah. And I'm trained for that. I've got experience in that. Okay. And And they will pretty much go with my judgment. Now, if I... If I mess up big time, you know they'll find somebody yeah, I else. Understand. But uh, I advise the board every day of what we're going to do, and uh, so far they say we understand. Go ahead, uh, but they, there's no formal vote on
1: setting you. the gates. So it's it's sort of typical board governance where they they maybe set the uh, the strategy, if you will, and uh, and agree to that, and then authorize you to take action that would support that strategy.
9: That is correct. And uh, I oftentimes hear people, and you'll see it on Facebook this morning, uh, those people are not accountable. They're not elected. Well, it's it's a republic. We right. our, our board members are appointed by officials who are elected by the people. Right. And so there is direct
1: representation. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, so, 14, you mentioned supervisors as well that, that are on the board. Well, the supervisors appoint a okay. member. Supervi- and so it, the supervisors from which counties?
9: Five county member counties, Scott, Lee, Hines Rankin, and Madison. And okay. they
1: each appoint
9: one board member, and that has to be uh, confirmed by uh, by their board of supervisors. So they make that appointment. The governor appoints five directly. Okay. And then four are appointed by the state agencies like Wildlife, Futures, and Parks, Department okay. of Health, et cetera. They
1: would have an interest in it,
9: yeah. And we get great expertise by that. We'll get people who... Sure who are very well-versed in wildlife management or who are very well-versed in public health, and, and it Makes really sense. is
1: great. Makes sense. So it sounds like uh, a diverse group uh, and a diverse brain trust, if you will, yeah. that are involved in the governance it here. Yes, It's a lot of experience on that board, a lot of gray hair. Some of
9: us don't have any hair left, but <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, experienced group of people.
1: Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, once that strategy is put in place, your job to act on that and um, and, and to just run the whole deal in accordance with that. Yes.
9: Yeah. Yes. All right, so what'd you say 55,000? 55, 55,000 cubic feet per second. Now, per that's second. a lot of water. Yeah. That's a lot of water. Uh, on a good day a bad I mean, excuse me, a very big discharge at say Grenada Reservoir would be 5,000. Wow. This is 10 times that and we're going to could go higher. I don't I don't want to. I hope we don't. But we could go higher.
1: Well, is there is there an average? What's typical? For um, Pearl River, uh,
9: average normal days two or three thousand. Uh, wow, minimum so fifty five thousand. Minimum discharge is two hundred and forty seven, and sometimes we're at that for months. And typically, August is a minimum discharge situation yeah, unless right. a hurricane's pushing through. And this storm acted like a hurricane,
1: but it was no hurricane. Right. In Terms of the the rainfall, it certainly does. Uh, before we go, we've got about a minute here. Is there anything you'd like to see in the way of infrastructure to just improve the entire district that, that uh, maybe the legislature needs to authorize or some other body?
9: Oh, we've got, we've got plenty of needs. We need money for dredging. We need money for public facilities like recreational facilities and yeah. things like that. Uh, the primary purpose of the reservoir is water supply for the city of Jackson, and that's one reason I can't empty the reservoir to hold back floods is i got to have water for the city of
1: Jackson. I understand. So it's a balancing act constant. It's a type rope. <laughs> I get it. John, thanks so much for coming in. Very informative, sir. Thank you. Okay, thank you. John Sigmund, General Manager of Pearl River Valley Water Supply District, has been our de- our guest on Middays. We'll step aside and we'll come right back.
2: This show was previously recorded.
8: From the SeabrookPaint.com Weather Center, I'm Bob Solander. For all your paint and coating needs, go to SeabrookPaint.com. Your Labor Day, a 70% chance of rain, cloudy skies, high near 86. Tonight, a 30% chance of rain, low around 72. Tuesday, much of the same, a 60% chance of rain, mostly cloudy, high near 86. And for your Wednesday, showers and thunderstorms likely, mostly cloudy, high near 85. This weather brought to you by our friends at Gaddis McLaurin Mercantile in downtown Bolton since 1871. Come to our Deer Hunter Appreciation Sale September 8th through the 10th for all the great deals. Gaddis McLaurin Mercantile in downtown Bolton.
6: Magnolia Health is made for Mississippi. A statewide network of specialists and primary care physicians at more than 17,000 locations. Community outreach programs and quality jobs for nearly 400 Mississippians. Our commitment to building healthier communities in Mississippi has never been stronger. Learn more at magnoliahealthplan.com slash benefits.
4: I'm Kelly Bennett, and you're listening to Supertalk Mississippi News. The mayor of Jackson says the fixing of water issues to him goes beyond making sure the spigots are running again. More on that from Fox's Gernal Scott.
8: Jackson, Mississippi Mayor Shockway Antar Lumumba says work must continue on his city's water problem.
7: Even after water is restored this week, Uh, and even after the boil water notice is lifted.
8: The mayor added on ABC's this week, the issues have been around for decades, and he feels any fix must benefit all of Jackson.
7: And that certain portions of our city won't be disproportionately affected by this uh, week in and week out.
8: Black business owners who say they're losing customers over the concerns and impoverished black residents who live in Jackson
4: are worried about it most. For all things Mississippi, visit supertalk.fm.
0: Mississippi loves high school football. And now you can stream tons of high school football games from across the Magnolia State each Friday night just by going to Supertalk.fm slash high school. That's supertalk.fm slash high school. And of course, on Friday nights during the season, there's always a game on your local Super Talk Radio Station. The season's on the line! When it comes to high school football in Mississippi, nobody does it like we do. We are Super Talk Mississippi.
2: This show was previously recorded.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
6: Welcome, welcome to our
0: show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a
12: good one.
1: In the Element Well Studios, appreciate the mayor of Greenville, Mississippi, coming on. See what happens for that on that uh, front. So, uh, lots of text rolling in here on the C Spire text line. Let's see. The park commission is already at a three hundred k deficit this year in Greenville because the commissioner signed a bunch of contracts with rappers for a festival without the council knowing. Hmm. Well, I got to tell you, uh, uh, you know, it's complicated stuff. But I, it's would be surprising to me that a single council member can bind a city. I, I don't think so. I mean, a single council member should not have binding legal authority. Shouldn't? I mean, I can tell you in, in the private sector. You better make sure whoever signs contracts has binding authority. And the contracts should have a legal statement close to the signature. It needs to be someone who has that legal ability to enter into a contract on both sides. I've seen that tested before. It don't go well if whomever the signatories are... If there is one, certainly, party in, a, in an agreement, in a contract that doesn't have binding authority. I'll tell you, in my company, there's about three people, and I'm one of them. And as the CEO, and honestly, we had it all automated. It was, all, it was totally electronic. We were an early adopter of digital signatures long time ago, before anybody ever heard of DocuSign. And, you know, it's not surprising, Rhino, at first... We had a number of customers that were um, leery of digital signature and insisted that, no, let's print them out and sign them and fax them back and forth and all that kind of stuff, including the state of Mississippi, where I always thought it was silly we'd have four-part contracts or four um, four copies, should say, of contracts uh, in the state. And we literally would have somebody go down to town to pick them up, bring them to me for two seconds to sign, and then bring them back for them to sign, and then bring back the copies.
2: Oh, yeah. In big cities, there's entire services that do that. Yeah. Bike
1: couriers and the like. Right. Well, they used to. Like, dude, why can't we do this electronically? I I never understood that. But nonetheless, back to this point, yeah. he says, the director of, uh, this is Pat Dale from the Delta, the director of the Park Commission's had them signed, and in Greenville, the Park Commission works on their own budget, but when they go over a budget, guess who has to pay it? I mean, I still say, though, Pat, honestly, that, that, is, that that's a problem, I would say, in the structure of uh, the legal framework under which the or any city operates. I, you just got to be careful with binding authority there, and certainly some single member of a council... Shouldn't have the I don't think it's good business the authority to bind a contract anyhow I, so i you know I really don't know about um relying on what Pat's telling us here about the deficit and so forth. It's just kind of crazy um Gina Mendehall says Jackson can't hand out water bills wait till the trash stops running, yeah. I hear you, and uh, the billing system, having worked with the city of Jackson from an IT perspective as a vendor for 25 years. Um, and, and, you know, obviously abiding by their procurement policies and rules. And it does bring up an interesting thought that I had about this whole deal, honestly. And that is just think about how to connect the dots here. This, I believe, is a very pointed example of what you've heard me describe on the program as the march to mediocrity. And here's what I mean by that. Public sector entities and now, to a great extent, even private sector entities, their procurement processes are are not as I think many people perceive. Here's what I mean. To do business with most municipalities in this country, in some cases, states, but certainly at the municipal and county level, as a vendor, as a contractor, to those levels of government, it's pretty... It's been a pretty widespread and common practice to require minority vendor participation, what they call MBE, Minority Business Enterprise. Remember we had um, the contract compliance officer from the Jackson Municipal Airport Authority on, I think, last week, talking about the um, Aviation Industry Day, which was uh, really a business event to try to connect minority vendors with the three airports, Golden Triangle, Jackson Municipal, and uh, Gulfport Biloxi. Is it Gulfport Biloxi or Biloxi Gulfport? I think it's Gulfport Biloxi, if I'm not mistaken. So anyhow, you know what I'm talking about. The one on the coast that has... Gulfport uh, Biloxi International. Okay, had it right. Thank you. So uh, anyhow, and remember that she shared with us her, her function is to ensure contract compliance. And I can't remember the acronym, Rhino, remember, because I had to ask her. I wasn't sure what it meant. My experience, the acronym was always MBE, Minority Business Enterprise. Maybe it was like disadvantaged or something like that. You remember that? It seems to be one of the letters in it. But no, it's the same deal, nonetheless. So in general, though, procurement and it, I know this to be the case in the city of Jackson because I did a lot of business with the city of Jackson. You've got to have a certain percentage of your contract has got to include um, it's got to, got to include vendors in that contract that are minority owned. Okay, to qualify as a minority business enterprise and registered with the city as a minority business enterprise. And unless, I want to say uh, it's been a while, 20% of the value of the contract had to be allocated to an MBE. And that's very common. I've done business in New Orleans, in Memphis, in Birmingham, in Atlanta. Very common. Very common practice. Very common policy in procurement. So... I think the common perception of the taxpayer is, well, procurement of uh, using public money is done through some comprehensive, totally transparent and fair bid process, an RFP process, request for proposal, which is typically a lot more involved than than just a simple bid. Bid is just, okay, we want to buy some of these, what's your price? RFP is provide us a proposal to provide perform certain work as described in the RFP. And usually those things can be quite extensive. I mean, we, I've done uh, many in my career where the RFP itself was up several two- or three-inch binders. And, of course, the response would be about triple that. You know, you'd have to, have to have a cart to bring in your response. And there's usually a scoring mechanism and a, and a scoring system that is Typically published. Sometimes it's included in the RFP. Sometimes it's post RFP. But the the scoring is uh, it is subjective, except for the financial aspect, which of course is objective. And then there's there are weights assigned to the various categories of scoring. The state of Mississippi conducts its RFP process consistent with these standards and has for years. It's quite fair. But in the case, typically of municipalities. There is a minority business enterprise participation requirement. And you may have the lowest and best, not the lowest necessarily, but the lowest and best, meaning you meet the requirements, the specifications of what is being procured in accordance with the RFP, and you scored the best terms of the technical value and the technical quality of your proposal, and, and you're meeting the specifications, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. all kinds of qualitative scoring categories, and you may and combine that with the weight of your financial price, and you win. But if you don't have sufficient minority participation, you lose. And in fact, contracts get awarded At a higher price, at a premium to the taxpayer, simply because a vendor, the winning vendor, included the required minority participation, maybe even exceeded it, and therefore got additional points in the scoring mechanism. So the taxpayers actually pay a premium to do business with vendors, that are either minorities or include certain minority participation. It's not, let's buy the best value. That's not the goal at all. We'll continue this discussion as we go into a break here on uh, Middays, and we'll be right back.
2: This show was previously recorded.
9: it. <laughs>
7: weekly rx with dr nicole sapphire
11: excellent news this month as a new vaccine for lyme's disease enters phase three clinical trials after demonstrated good safety and efficacy in kids and adults lyme's disease is caused by a tick-borne infection and on the rise in the united states over thirty thousand cases of lyme's disease are reported in the u.s each year more commonly in the northeast and the northwest the disease can be treated with antibiotics especially in its early stages Early Lyme symptoms can include a fever, headache, and a circular bullseye rash. Later symptoms can be joint pain, facial palsy, and central nervous system inflammation. If the new three-dose vaccine called VLA-15 from Pfizer and French drug maker Valneva demonstrates success in its late-stage clinical trials, it would be the only Lyme disease vaccine available for humans in the U.S. But companies say it wouldn't be available until 2025 or later. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News.
7: Fox on Tech. Getting your expensive tech repaired has always been a chore, and doing so during the pandemic years had been even worse, with in-store repairs not available and a fear of sending off one's phone, tablet, or computer in the mail feeling like cutting oneself off from work, school, family and the rest of the planet, which gave rise to the self-service repair. Apple and Samsung have been allowing device owners to do guided self-repairs using purchased original parts and prescribed tools. And now Apple, starting today, adds the same deal for MacBook Pro and MacBook Air, the ones with M1 chips anyway. And if you don't want to buy the fancy tools at the high price tags, Apple will rent you the repair kit for a week at a cost of 49 bucks with free shipping. And swapped-out broken bits can be sent back to Apple for them to refurbish and to give you some credit. With Fox on Tech, I'm Evan Brown, Fox News.
0: Arm yourself with everything you need to take on your day. Wake up with Gallo tomorrow on 97.3 FM, Super Talk Mississippi. This show was previously recorded. Properly set all controls before recording. Systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Woo! Yeah. Yeah.
3: Now when I was a young boy at the age of five, my mother south gonna be.
1: Welcome back to everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Kyle and Jackson. So, we were just talking about this minority participation requirement, which is nothing new. It's been around for a long time. I think what's relatively new, however, is the rather sharp increase of private sector entities. All again, uh, going back to the George Floyd incident. After that, all sorts of large private companies. Adopted and and published all sorts of policies where they're given incredible preferential treatment to minority-owned enterprises and and pledged to to increase the percentage of their total spend uh, with minority vendors. Whether they're the best vendor offering the best quality product service at the lowest price, in other words, the best value for the entity, irrelevant. In the case, so that's private company. They can do what the heck they want. Now, I can tell you, I've been on the losing end of that with some fortune companies where we lost deals. We had the clearly the best solution, the lowest cost, best value solution, and lost. And we're told, you're not a minority enterprise. Sorry. This money's going over here. In the public sector, it's different because... Whereas in the private sector, I could argue reasonably that 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 isn't an, an abdication of fiduciary responsibility when management at a private company is not looking out for the stockholders by, by investing with, spending money with vendors who provide the best value to the company. In the case of the public sector, such as the municipality, Well, it's the taxpayers on the hook, and I have personally been involved in a number of uh, fairly large procurements and lost simply because we either didn't, to their satisfaction, meet the minority participation requirement or that we were not a minority-owned business. Now, it gets gained, there's no doubt, where you'll get non-minority-owned businesses that will turn around and subcontract it, or by, actually vice versa. This is a more common case. The minority-owned business, which is just a shell, that has zero capabilities, I've seen this in my industry, in the IT industry, and they'll uh, respond and be the prime contractor, respond to the RP, be the prime contractor. They do zero work and turn around and subcontract it. To a non-minority vendor who actually does the work, after taking their nice cut, correct. And they get and and by the way, it's not that it renders them uncompetitive because you've got these multiple layers of people getting compensated. No, in fact, again, they pay a premium. It's and I I have been Rhino. I promise this. I'm telling the truth here. i sure as I'm sitting here, I have been at what's called bid openings. Could, could be giant rfps right and in some situations um, the buyer the owner let's just call it a city they'll have like a summary sheet they'll ask you to prepare to include in your you know four inch thick rfp response and you put the summary sheet on the top so quickly the the uh, those that are receiving the RFPs from the various vendors at the day and time you're to deliver it, can get a quick summary. So they look at it, and the first thing they look at is the minority participation. They could care less about the quality of the solution, the cost of it, how much minority participation are you saying you've got? That's all they care about. So I'm I'm simply saying that Jackson, like so many other municipalities, is operated under such a procurement environment for decades. And when you do so, you're not getting the best value for the taxpayers. Is that saying that no minority entities can uh, properly serve the city? No, it's not saying that. What I'm saying is, when, again, what you are, as we say so many times, rather than who you are, is what rues the day... And, uh, and the way money is spent, it's irresponsible. And it's a march to mediocrity. I remember participating, and I'm just sharing my little teeny-tiny anecdotal world. I know there's a million other examples out there, but th- this constant uh, focus and obsession with w- what's the race and the gender and the other status... The, the again the what the physical attributes of those that are vending to the entity when that becomes a greater focus then we got to solve the problem here and <laughs> we got to do it in a in a financially responsible manner as a fiduciary for the taxpayers well that gets kind of shoved off to the side it's more important it, it's almost soft reparations, folks, if you want to know the truth. Just is. That's the way that stuff works, and I've seen examples where we lost. Vendor that won because of their minority participation failed in the middle of the project. We were brought in to bail them out. Unbelievable. We'll step aside right here. We'll come back with more. We got Russ Latino at...
2: This show was previously recorded...
7: I'm Karen McHugh. Still no sign of those missing following the crash Sunday of a small plane in Washington State.
4: Nine people, including a child, are still missing after the float plane crash in Puget Sound that left one person dead. Investigators are working to determine the cause of the crash of the single-engine propeller plane. An extensive search started yesterday that included four Coast Guard vessels, a rescue helicopter, and an aircraft.
7: Fox is Tonya Powers. By land and by air, there's a whole lot of traveling going on this Labor Day.
4: Millions
13: expected to travel for this Labor Day holiday. A AAA survey showing 32% of Americans say they do plan to travel. 12% say they are planning to go 50 miles or more. Millions are going to be in the skies. And experts say those flights are now back at pre-pandemic levels.
7: Fox's Bill Malugin, America is listening to Fox News.
2: Seabrook Paints in Jackson and Ridgeland. Visit SeabrookPaints.com.
4: I'm Kelly Bennett, and you're listening to Super Talk Mississippi News. The first COVID vaccination booster dose to include specific formulation against the Omicron variant will soon be available if you want it. Evan Brown reports.
7: New versions of COVID-19 vaccine produced by Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna will soon be available now that the head of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, has signed off on their authorization. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced their authorization earlier this week. The new vaccine booster doses are bivalent, meaning they offer protection against two forms of the coronavirus, the original strain and the Omicron variant. Pfizer's is authorized for ages 12 and up. Moderna can be used for people 18 and older.
4: Mississippi is currently averaging about 1,229 daily cases. That's a one percent decrease from two weeks ago.
0: Twilight concerts at Renaissance are back as Ratchet Entertainment presents Blues Traveler and Government Mule live (laughs) Saturday, October 22nd. Blues Traveler (laughs) with Government (laughs) Mule. Bonnabell. Tickets on sale now at twilightms.com for Government Mule, Blues Traveler and Bonneville. Brought to you by Southern Beverage Renaissance. Visit Ridgeland, and Watkins Construction. Produced by Ratchet Entertainment Group.
8: This is day 2 of safety digging class. Why call 811? Do you see this picture?
2: Yeah, it's a doghouse.
8: No, it's where my wife and I live because I failed to call 811. Hit a gas line and blew up my house.
2: Ah, one of them tiny, tiny houses. Is it roomy? (laughs) Next
5: question.
1: Hello, Sam here from Mississippi 811. Calling 811 two working days before digging is the law, and it's always the right thing to do
4: it was written, directed, and produced by a Baldwin, Mississippi native will premiere the weekend of September 9th. Mysterious Circumstance the death of Meriwether Lewis examines the death of the famed explorer who reportedly committed suicide at an inn on the Natchez Trace. Clark Ritchie told us he's fascinated by that particular period in history. I got nine stories about the Natchez Trace that I'd like to tell. I love that time period when I was growing up, you know, it's uh, the Davy Crockett days
0: and on Disney, and uh, Daniel Boone series, and I just love that time period. You know, it's, it's lost in yeah, Mississippi. Yeah. That history of when we were the
13: frontier, uh, it's never talked about anymore.
4: It'll premiere at the Capri Theater in Jackson September 9th. It's also in New Albany at the Magnolia Civic Center opening on the 9th, and it's opening in the Corinth Coliseum on the 9th, and that's
1: all in Mississippi.
4: For more info, go to Six Shooter Studios on Facebook. This is Jake Mangum,
0: player for the New York Mets organization and
4: former Mississippi State Bulldog.
0: I travel a lot, but no place feels like home. Our houses and our cars are where we spend a lot of our time. That's why a home and auto insurance bundle from Farm Bureau makes so much sense. If you aren't already on the team, it's time to join Farm Bureau. Visit favrates.com for great rates on home and auto insurance or find a local agent at msfbins.com. Farm Bureau Insurance. Go with the home team.
10: Tune in to Good Things with me, Rebecca Turner. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour, weekdays from 2 to 3 p.m., right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3.
2: This show was previously recorded.
0: Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We are live in the Element Wells studios on this hump day. We made it this far. I don't think I'm going anywhere uh, as far as remotes for a while. At least not the rest the of the schedule. week. No, not the, not the rest of the week. They better let me know. I've been on the road, though, quite a bit. It's been fun. I like getting out um, and seeing the beautiful Magnolia State. And you know, that drive up there to West Point. It's uh, with everything being four lane. It's actually pretty enjoyable. It's not bad at all. So anyhow, back in the Element Well Studios, Russ Latino, the president of Empower Mississippi. Russ, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. It's been a little while. It has. It has. Uh, nothing's going on though, so we can just close it up now. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about. Uh, we're, we're going. We had you here because we want to talk about this whole student loan situation, but the city of Jackson. I know you have got uh, some feelings on that, <laughs> needless to say. Um, uh, you being the uh, well-thought uh, policy uh, intellect that you are, always appreciate your insight. Uh, I've got some feelings on it as well, as you might sure. Might expect, sure. but this You is, being the well-thought policy well, intellect that you are. I don't know that. About that. I appreciate that. I don't know about that. But, you, you know, it, uh, it's just a common sense sort of deal. We've been talking a lot about uh, how do we get here? And certainly, we we need to do uh, some introspect analysis of that. No doubt about it. But mainly so it doesn't happen again. I mean, a, we can't fix what happened in the past. How do we get here? But the biggest thing is, where do we go from here? And uh, I'm hearing everything from let's get the federal government uh, to just write a check, bail the city out. Uh, there are some rumors that the state may exercise its authority, and I must admit. I'm not familiar with what sort of authority maybe you can help us with that the state would have in terms of so-called taking over the city. There's rumors of that, as you know, swirling around. Um, And and then, so you got that going on. And then there's also ideas that you were just sharing with before we uh, came on the air about, well, let's go ahead and get the ARPA money that was showered upon us. Let's get that... uh, in the works and get something going.
13: Well, Your thoughts? Yeah, a few thoughts. I mean, one, I think we've got to have a strong Jackson to have a strong Mississippi. It's our capital Agreed. city. Uh, we need to to all be a part of figuring out how to fix the problems that are there, and they're substantial problems. I think we've got to stop ignoring the fact that there are problems there for fear of of uh, accusations uh, because of some of the delicacies associated with um, the, the city and the way that people perceive the city. I think that we've got to look at it and say, okay, there's this is massive problem with water. It's unsafe for the people to drink. It's unsafe for people to live their lives. It's unsafe for businesses to operate and make living. Um, and so we got to do something about it. There are, to me, the the importance of understanding the problem isn't just so that we don't repeat it. It's designing a solution requires us to understand how we got there. Oh, sure. Um, And so I would say this is not something that is a byproduct of flooding. Flooding is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is a decades-in-the-making problem with deferred maintenance on a system. It's a decades-in-the-making problem with failure to actually bill for water, which means there's insufficient funds to maintain the system. Agree. And it's a failure in terms of staffing. Uh, O.B. Curtis is not that old of a facility. It really isn't. I think it's 20 20 years old, give or take. Right. Um, We just have inadequate staffing. In fact, the EPA has said that we have inadequate qualified staffing to to run the thing. So all of those are are real sort of long-term problems that have to be addressed if you want to fix it. I'd look at it, though, and say this, that there are numbers floating around that people have thrown out about what it would take to fix it, nobody knows. Because the analysis that's required to really know what is wrong with the system has not been done. And it costs money and it, to and do it, the analysis. And it does cost money. Um, but I also know that the city of Jackson got $42 million in American Rescue Plan Act money, um, which they are allowed to use for water infrastructure. Right. I know that Hines County got $45 million uh, directly uh, their portion, and you look at that and you're talking about $87 million that could immediately be applied to the problem, and then you realize the state opened up their ARPA money to matching. So if Jackson and Hines County decide to put all $87 million up into the state's matching program, we're talking about $174 million in quick access that can be used to fix OB Curtis to fix the meter system because after all of this we still don't have uh, a system that really works for billing in Jackson. Um, you look at all of that and you go, that's a real start. And so even if you accept some of the ridiculous numbers that are floating around, it would cost $2 billion to replace the entire system sort of thing. You got to realize that it's better to spend 174 million now to get water back to people immediately. Take one bite at the elephant, and then we can talk about what a long-term plan looks like to finish eating the elephant.
6: Yeah,
1: I mean, we at least got to get back to a point where we have functioning flow of potable water. I mean, that's that's the problem we have right now, and you can't have economic activity without that. Yep. And you can't produce revenue without economic activity. So it's a huge old catch 22. But we got to at least get back to that. Well, it, it becomes a
13: death spiral, right? Um, due to your point, if business goes out of Jackson, then employment goes out of Jackson, um, and your, your tax base gets smaller and smaller, so your ability to actually address these things gets harder and harder. I, I do think at some level it's worth considering the idea that one, some of the problems that Jackson's facing are not wholly Jackson in the sense that geographically the reservoir and the Pearl River contribute to some of the issues that they Agreed. deal with. Agreed. And those are, you know, those come through communities that are not Jackson. Um, so in a, in a degree, it is a regional question. Um, and then the, the system itself is not limited to Jackson proper, right? Um, certainly there are services that are offered as far north as like, Ridgeland. Um, with sewage, um, and there's water service that's offered all the way down to Byram. Right. So you look at that and go, well, perhaps the right approach to this is something similar to what Haley Barber did post-Katrina with a regional utility district that allows people who have a stake in the game in the area to have a voice in how resources get spent to fix the problem, recognizing that the impact of the problem extends beyond Jackson proper. yep. yep yeah to-
1: totally agree uh and and also also totally accept and appreciate your assessment that we can we can't just write the city off within the state it it uh we are all affected positively and negatively by the status uh, of the city of 100%. the capital city
13: a hundred percent. We need to be committed to a strong Jackson that's not a, a white versus black right. thing. It's not a Republican versus Democrat thing. The state needs a strong capital city. Right. Um, and the reality is, you know, a lot of people want to put these things in terms of, of sort of polarizing concepts. You're in team Republican or team Democrat. This is somehow a racial question. It's none of those things. There are white people who are living in Jackson that are being affected. There are black people who are living in Jackson that are being affected. And until we stop deflecting from our faults by pointing fingers at other people, we're not going to fix the problems that are ultimately in the interest of the people that we're supposed to be serving. And I think, you know, I think this has got to be a state and local solution where we come together, figure out the extent of the problem, the cost of fixing it, a timeline, and who's going to execute it, and then put the resources to bear to fix the problem.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think, however, uh, from an accountability perspective, I I think it's fair to say that there is a low level of confidence that uh, this large amount of money, you, you, you pointed out, we could get to $175 million pretty rapidly. But to just transfer that to the current administration and and for for it to be overseen by them, I think is problematic for most people.
13: I I think you're looking at it from the perspective of if you're using state money, which includes state taxpayer money from places that are not Jackson, then state leaders owe it to somebody in Tishominga County to be able to say, hey, look, we're going to use some of your resources to invest in the capital city, um, but we're going to make sure that it gets used responsibly. Um, and, and you look at the context of we're in the middle of litigation right now where the mayor of Jackson tried to veto the veto of his own city council, which is an absurd concept, <laughs> um, to hire his own garbage crew. So what you can't possibly do is open yourself up to the scenario where there's a Richards Water Service <laughs> suddenly doing things, right? Right. There's got to be an actionable plan that the state can say, we're willing to invest in that plan. It can't just be a demand for revenue.
1: I agree with you, and and I'll say again, I I still think a lot of these problems are rooted in the uh, deeply flawed and corrupt procurement process we have in the state. I just do. And that's been going on for a long time. we got Russ Latino, president of Empower Mississippi, We'll continue this discussion and then we're gonna start talking about this whole student loan situation. <laughs> like we don't have enough on our plate here. We're coming right back. We're in the Element Well Studios.
2: Don't just get a
5: job, get a career with great salary and benefits. The Mississippi Department of Corrections has just increased your salary by 10%. If you qualify, you can be a corporal, sergeant, captain, or major, with base salaries ranging from over $36,000 to over $47,000. Add to that retirement medical benefit package up to $17,000 more, all with paid-on-the-job training not far from where you live. Visit mdocms.gov to apply today. That's mdoc.ms.gov.
2: Fillmore Buick GMC. You drive everything we do.
1: Hey, it's Richard Cross. Be sure to catch Sports Talk Mississippi, your new home for the best sports coverage right
2: here in the Magnolia State. Every day from 3 until 6, right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. This show was previously recorded.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: End of this segment here on middays. We are back in the Element Well Studios. Our guest is Russ Latino, president of Empower Mississippi. So Russ, on the C Spire text line, you were talking about the uh, the money that could be made available in fairly short order, which includes some matching funds from the state, in accordance to to the state program to do so. And uh, so the question is: Is this discussion about giving all of the ARPA and matching monies to one city's broken system without regard of others? No, no we're not. No, suggesting I mean. That. My recollection is what 1.8 billion was the state
13: kitty to the state. Right. So, so we'd be talking about 87 million of that 1.8 billion. Right. um, That would be applied to To one city to then the county to to the jacks Jackson and Hines County. And then again, like I said, there are elements of that water and sewage system that affect even up into Madison County. That's right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but it's also if you look at it in terms of population. Um, you know, it's our largest population center as well. No doubt. So it would, it would not be an unreasonable investment of the resources given the dire need, given the size of the population, the percentage of the overall sort of pot that we're talking about. I think what you need to ensure is that there's an actionable plan to do something with it that actually benefits the people of Jackson.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. So, and I can tell you, uh, folks, that. Every state, uh, excuse me, every city leader that I have interviewed uh, since the ARPA was uh, enacted, a number, of course, at the Mississippi Municipal League Conference, but several others, of course, over the last year, I've always asked them. Do you have your plan? Have you submitted your plan to the state for your matching piece? Because if you remember, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, that was like the first thing out of his mouth when that money came down, is you cities, we're going to do this matching thing, go get your plans together and make yeah. sure that you can participate here. Well, tomorrow,
13: so, tomorrow is, the uh, I my understanding the opening of the application process. That's that. right. That's so, right. So literally, if you think about this in terms of timing, if Jackson has a plan, if they've been preparing for this, knowing that there's been a problem for years and the EPA has been entering consent orders and everything else for years. Right. If they know how to fix it and the money has been the problem, they can put a plan on someone's desk
1: tomorrow to start getting matching funds. Totally agree. I I just believe it needs to be done uh, with proper oversight that uh, is independent of the city.
13: And, so. and look, if they don't have a plan, then they need to uh, to exercise the humility of saying we need help figuring
1: out how to fix this. I totally thing. agree, totally agree. And uh, the the mayor did indicate yesterday that he is uh, he is grateful for uh, the assistance. He welcomes the state's help. So we'll see where that goes. That's what he said. "Quote: We are grateful for the assistance." Unquote. So hopefully, something will happen because in uh, this also, unfortunately, as you know, Russ, it reflects on the state across the country the perception out there i've actually received some calls from from friends outside of mississippi you guys okay you have water yeah. I understand because you know they it's, they don't know where the boundaries are and whose system's serving who and it's making national news is not uh, the good kind of news you want for the state of mississippi so and then you've got how this affects economic development as well when you have these kinds of things going on. No water, no power, no economic development projects. Which is why it's a bigger-than-Jackson
13: problem, right? Agree. Um, There's a lot of human suffering going on in Jackson right now, but if you want to talk about why somebody in Biloxi should care about this, it's because the impact on the state's economy is pretty substantial. No
1: doubt about it. No, absolutely no b- doubt about it. All right, uh, student loans. I know you've written a piece on that as well. Sure, you've got uh, some uh, some uh, some very deep feelings, and and I do as well. But we kind of knew this was coming. I felt like it was, and, and you know, I think that the, the uh, impetus was that the uh, the moratorium on the pause on repayment was scheduled uh, to expire today. As a matter of fact, and I think that they, the Democrats effectively pushed the president into, OK, well, you don't want that to happen on your watch in advance of midterms and everybody's got to resume payment of their student loans. Why don't you just go ahead and wipe out some of this debt? And By the way, extend the moratorium out till after the midterms as well.
13: Yeah. Um you know, there, there are multiple layers to this thing. The first thing I would say is that there are serious questions about the constitutionality of the act itself. Uh, it will end up being challenged in court, and I suspect it will end up being getting heard by the Supreme Court at some stage. Uh, whether or not the president can just waive uh, debt uh, through executive order is questionable. Um, so there's that. I, I think there's the element of this that is potentially inflationary even though it might feel nice if you're a beneficiary. Uh, Jason Furman, who was uh, President Obama's senior economic advisor, has come out and said, this is actually really bad policy the way this was designed. It's going to contribute to the inflationary environment that we're in. Yep. Um, so there's the, the sort of larger macro effect that arguably is negative. You know, I, I think a lot of conservatives will look at it and just say, as a matter of principle, you agreed to, to pay back a debt for a service that was being given. You need to pay your debt. Um, I look at it uh, uh, with a little bit more nuance th- than that in this sense. I-, I do think that people should exercise personal responsibility, but I think the entire system is broken. I think the entire system of financing college, the import that we put on college for everyone, is broken, and part of that is because student loans are backed federally. So you know this that if you want to go buy a car right now, You'd go and you'd say, here's my income level, here are my assets, and then the bank's going to make a decision on whether or not they're going to give you money to buy that car. So they're actually analyzing the risk associated with giving you the money. Student loans don't have that, and it's because the federal government backs them. That's right. So there's no risk profile created. There's no cost-benefit analysis considered. There's no consideration of ability to repay or what default might look like. Those are all things that normally would be associated with lending practices. So if you're a college, the great thing about that is, you don't. It doesn't matter whether or not you're providing valuable education to someone such that they can get out and be more marketable than when they got there. It doesn't matter if a student who's taking underwater basket weaving or something, you know, goofy, sure. yep. um, is going to be more productive once they get out, because if they can't pay it back, the federal government's going to take care of it. Yep. Um, and so there's no incentive on the part of the college to make sure that the scope of education is such that if all this money is being taken out in loans by students, that at the end of the day, that value is added back in their ability to go out and make a higher salary. So absent that, we've got a system where there's moral hazard, both on the part of the student who just sees free money and on the part of the college that is less concerned about the actual outcome of a kid coming out of college. Um, To me, that's a recipe for disaster. And candidly, just forgiving student loans doesn't fix it at all. Right, Um, You know, in fact, all it does is make it more likely uh, that that system continues where there's not a direct connection between the money being taken out of loans and the value that is added to the student who takes out that money in loans.
1: Yeah, uh, a a great analysis. Appreciate that, Russ. So, you know, a couple of things I'll, I'll make a point of is that a lot of people, rightfully so, are angered because this is a targeted group. This is a targeted group. This only benefits directly those who actually presently have student loans. That's who it benefits. And, of course, only if their income is below the $125,000 threshold or two fifty for a household. So those who don't have student loans, those who paid off their student loans... Those who consolidated their student loans. I got you. I hear you. I understand. Yeah. So it's all that uh, means that you're excluded from the group of beneficiaries, and so it is rightfully perceived as unfair. And those that are not benefiting feel like, well, I'm paying for a benefit you're getting. I get all that, but I'll just point this out: the government's not going to send those who are feel like they're absorbing the cost of of uh, others. They're not going to send you a bill for it. Um, they're not going to raise your taxes for it. How it manifests, if at all, would be through the inflationary impact. Sure. But on the other hand, why don't we equally get incensed at the um, at the thirty trillion dollars of debt we have on the books, uh, over a third of which came about in the last three years. Sure. Which is the reason we got eight and a half point uh, a percent uh, inflation right now. So. It, this is 1% of that. I'm not saying it's nothing, but it depends on whose math you look at, but somewhere between
13: 1% and 2%. So so where I would not even disagree with you, but just add some, some color commentary is, okay. you're right in the sense that current taxpayers aren't suddenly going to pay back, right? There's not going to be a bill sent to Gerard saying, hey, Russ got a $10,000 check, well, you contribute a $1.50. Right. But... I do think that you're in a scenario where you're making the economy considerably weaker over time. Not you're did. creating moral hazard and it's future taxpayers that are on the line for this. It's not people right now. It's 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 a deferred cost on the future taxpayers Agree. because of the 30 trillion in debt.
1: Agree. But I I I'll, uh, I'll add this nuance to that. It's really not taxpayers. It's all consumers. Sure. Th- th- this brunt that we'll have to bear financial burden we have to bear it's not taxpayers it's everybody not just taxpayers yeah. it's not like because hell we know now half the tax, half the households didn't pay any taxes you hang around we yeah, talk tomorrow we got russ latino president of empower mississippi in the element well studios we'll be right back
2: this show was previously recorded
8: From the SeabrookPaint.com Weather Center, I'm Bob Solander. For all your paint and coating needs, go to SeabrookPaint.com. Your Labor Day, a 70% chance of rain, cloudy skies, high near 86. Tonight, a 30% chance of rain, low around 72. Tuesday, much of the same, a 60% chance of rain, mostly cloudy, high near 86. And for your Wednesday, showers and thunderstorms likely, mostly cloudy, high near 85. This weather forecast has been brought to you by our friends at RJ's Outboard Sales and Service at 1208 Old Fannin Road. RJ's Outboard Sales and Service, your Yamaha outboard dealer in Brandon.
1: Speaking of fancy shaped diamonds, never in our 75 year history at Juncker Jewelry have fancy shaped diamonds been as popular as they are today.
13: Well, Catherine Heichel chose a pair, Blake Lively an oval. John, what is your favorite? I'm going to go with Catherine. I love
0: the pear shape and I'm an oval girl. Ryan Reynolds can do no wrong, boys. Whichever
1: you choose, a fancy-shaped diamond brings a bit of style and drama to the show, allowing you to express your individuality.
2: And they're all here at Jennifer Jewelry. Ovals, pears,
13: radiance, emeralds, cushion cuts, and marquees. Along
4: with our diamond professionals who will help you create the engagement ring of her dreams. I'm Rachel. I'm Corey. And I'm John Ravenstein. For the first time, or the ring of a lifetime, we have the perfect fancy-shaped diamond
0: for you. Come experience the most trusted name in jewelry for over 75 years now. Juniker Jewelry Company, Mississippi's direct diamond importer. 1485 Highland Colony Parkway, just south of 463 in Madison, and junikerjewelry.com.
3: Magnolia Health is made for
6: Mississippi a statewide network of specialists and primary care physicians at more than 17,000 locations, community outreach programs, and quality jobs for nearly 400 Mississippians. Our commitment to building healthier communities in Mississippi has never been stronger. Learn more at magnoliahealthplan.com benefits.
0: Men's Health of Mississippi is the proud sponsor of Ole Miss Sports men's health of mississippi providing medical and health care services to men of all ages treating almost all health issues that men face call or go online for an appointment today are you having sewer and drain problems call the experts roto-rooter
2: since 1934 roto-rooter plumbing has been fixing small home disasters Mention this ad for $25 off any service. Call Roto-Rooter, 601-353-3333. That's 601-353-3333. Call Roto-Rooter, that's the name. Got a wink
3: on troubles down the drain. Roto-Rooter.
4: I'm Kelly Bennett, and you're listening to Super Talk Mississippi News. The first COVID vaccination booster dose to include specific formulation against the Omicron variant will soon be available if you want it. Evan Brown reports.
7: New versions of COVID-19 vaccine produced by Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna will soon be available now that the head of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, has signed off on their authorization. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced their authorization earlier this week. The new vaccine booster doses are bivalent, meaning they offer protection against two forms of the coronavirus, the original strain and the Omicron variant. Pfizer's is authorized for ages 12 and up. Moderna can be used for people 18 and older.
4: Mississippi is currently averaging about 1,229 daily cases. That's a 1% decrease from two weeks ago.
2: From the ground up, from the grassroots. That's how we began in 1922, and that's how we do things today
0: it's all right here. And when you're away from home, depend on the Super Talk app and Supertalk.fm to stay in the know. We're proud to serve our fellow Mississippians. Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: This show was previously recorded.
0: Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Middays in the Element Well Studios, Talk Mississippi. Don't forget, coming up at 1205, Sam Creekmore represents District 14. That's Union County, Mississippi. He's a good dude. He very much is, and he's going to be talking about International Overdose Awareness Day and some state legislation that he's involved in dealing with drug education, drug courts in the state, etc. And I know Empower has some involvement in that as well. Je- Jeremy in Caledonia on the ceasefire tax line says I have two daughters that could benefit from the loan payoff but I am not for it I'm old school you pay for what you owe. appreciate that Jerry uh, excuse me Jeremy and I-, I think a lot of people do feel that way it's been uh, rather interesting Russ is one way to describe it to uh, consume the reaction sure. across the country uh, very much split seems to me down the middle pro and uh, against student loan forgiveness. Some that are benefiting are against it. Some that are not are against it. Some that are benefiting are not only for it, they're screaming for more. Yeah. Now, I've, I've done some, uh, there's a whole bunch of statistics, I know you've obviously consumed them as well, that are published by various organizations and I try to cross-check them just to make sure they're, they're accurate and check their sources, but uh, some of the interesting statistics about who actually has the debt. Of course, the higher the degree or the longer you stayed in the college, more the more debt you have. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty common uh, since uh, conclusion there. But I got to tell you, and I, I hesitate to even say this. There's a side of me that believes this has also got some racial undertones to it as well. And the NAACP came out and blasted this plan, by the way. Said, does not do enough for black people. Because black women, as a, as a demographic, are uh, their households have, the percentage of their households have more debt than any others. They are more likely to go into student debt enter into student debt to fund their education than any other demographic uh and of course the white house says 95 percent of those who will benefit have incomes below 75 grand um and there's all kind of statistics on ratios of of uh debt to income sure student debt to income not surprisingly unfortunately mississippi has the highest
13: Well, and look, though, even if you're talking about under 75 grand, people with college degrees, statistically, make more money than people without college degrees. Yeah. So you are talking about a scenario where you're taking the top half of the country and giving them a benefit, even if you're cutting out the very top uh, from being eligible. You know, I think all of this, though, misses the point at some level. I I see the debate. There's legitimate points to be made on both sides of it. I'm looking at it going – if you don't address what actually caused the student loan debt to climb to 1.8 trillion or whatever it is, yep. um, then you're not actually doing anything but giving a temporary band-aid. It's you know, it's it might feel nice in the moment, but you've not fixed the problem. What actually has made college education so expensive? And I believe what has made college education so expensive is free money unchecked from any potential marketability gains that come along with taking out that loan to get the education. Right. Agree. And so it allows colleges to, uh, to spend an awful lot of money on climbing walls and lazy rivers and all sorts of nice amenities to attract students in. And the student almost becomes a mark. Yep. It's like, we know that you can get money. So how do we make this super attractive? And by making it super attractive, we're going to make it super expensive. Yep. Right? So look at the inflation numbers on college. I mean, we've been talking about inflation across consumer spending for the last 18 months. Yep. It, it pales into comparison to half a century of college tuition increases. We're talking 5X, the, the standard inflation rate, over that same time period. And it's because we've made access to capital so easy with no consequence or no consideration of the actual outcomes. Are we making that student better off when they emerge from college? Are they able to more easily take care of their families when they emerge from college? And if we're... Letting somebody take out $200,000 in student loans for a job that will yield a $30,000 a year income, that seems like a broken system to me. No doubt I mean, it, it seems fundamentally like a broken system. And I hold students responsible for signing that paper. I do. Even at 18, I think there's some personal responsibility associated with that. But we've got to be willing to look at it and say other people have skin in this game and are profiting from what is a
1: broken system. Totally agree. I absolutely agree. I'm, I just imagine if if I were in the private sector uh, and I was selling a, a product or service that the, the government was essentially uh, backing up the payment for. Uh, I could probably sell a whole lot more of it, and that's really what this is. And you could do it without any traditional free market uh, measures to balance it out. And why do
13: you need to control cost?
1: Right, you you don't. There's There's, no, there's no incentive to do so. No motivation to do so.
13: And so that's a real problem that gets paid off later by some guy who's going. I went two hundred grand into debt for a thirty grand a year job. No doubt about it. Look. I had friends when I was at Tulane that did that. Tulane had a school of social work; it was one of the better schools of social work. They got out and became social workers. That is a noble
1: profession, no doubt.
13: But if you're sitting on 200k in debt, it's difficult.
1: They never get out. Never get out. Yeah, you never get out. And so, a couple of other um, reforms that were included in uh, this president's plan that I found interesting, I was talking to Rhino about before we came on the air, when you look at these these various income-based repayment mechanisms that are available. So before he signed off on this order, the income-based repayment process, the structure, was uh, limited. Your payments were, were limited to 10% of what's d- defined as your discretionary income. Well, that's been half to 5%. When payments resume, if they ever resume. The other thing is after paying for 20 years the rem- at that level, the remaining debt forgiven, that's been in place for a while. That has now been half to 10 years. So the amount you're going to pay is going to be cut, and then the length you're going to pay is going to be t- cut for those that will continue to pay on their student debt. So that was a kind of a major change. That's why Penn Wharton came out and said, eh, this is more like a trillion-dollar example when you start figuring in the cost of money over that period of yeah. time with all all those adjustments. Honestly, until I started digging into this income-based repayment structure, I wasn't aware of that, that that's how it worked and that you had this automatic forgiveness after 20 years of paying. But there's going to be a lot, of pe- a lot of people that are going to have zero payments when payments resume, zero cost, zero dollar monthly payments when they resume, because they also change the way discretionary income is computed. So so there are two thoughts that I've got on how you could potentially fix this.
13: Um, one is to allow the debt to be dischargeable in bankruptcy, which would certainly give some uh, some interest on the part of the government or lenders. Uh, to run better assessments on the front end. Yep. Um, the other thought process is uh, to essentially create a a larger segment that the college is responsible for in the in the event of a default. Yeah. Um, which would create some incentive for a college to say, "Hey, we're not going to keep offering programs that aren't actually marketable programs." The final thing is to say the federal government shouldn't be backing student loans, or it should be limited in how it backs
1: student loans. Well, doesn't this just bring up the fundamental question, though, Russ, that what is the role of the federal government? I mean, this really is a question. I mean, it really is, because we have $31 trillion in debt that I would argue to a great extent is because we sort of went outside of our swim lane of, a, of the sure. constitutional function of government, and we spent a bunch of money for stuff we shouldn't have.
13: Yeah, I mean, my perspective is Article One, Section 8 is the is the functional okay. role of, of the federal government, but that hasn't been the case well, a long time. for a very long time. Right. I, I will say this, though, because you made this point earlier, and I think it's important. Yes, we're $30 trillion in debt. And what does that even mean at this point? Yeah. Um, but I, I sort of, whenever people say, hey, we're already $30 trillion in debt, so why not another trillion? I look at that and say, well, would you say if you had been cut seven times by a knife, I've been cut seven times, so cut me an eighth and ninth? <laughs> like, you know, like, or, or you punched me four times so you, you can punch me a fifth? What's the big deal? Yeah. I, at some point, You have to make measure to stop the bleeding. I think people believe that the music will always continue in the United States. But if we don't at some point restore fiscal sanity, the music will stop and we will be left without a chair to sit in. And it, it just strikes me that we have had so much. We've been a country with so great of a lifestyle, so high of incomes, so great a quality of life that we become accustomed to it, and we don't realize that, you know, if we lose reserve currency status in the world, as an example, suddenly a lot of what we are living at goes down really, really quickly in terms of quality of
1: life. We'll all get hurt, no doubt about it. So, yeah. Um, anyhow, you want to come back for now? i got another thought I want to share with you, if you can stay yeah, around. It. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we got Russ Latino, president of Empower Mississippi. It's just, uh, you're, you're great... Uh, discussion about uh, finding the root cause, whether it's water or education. Sure. Let's talk about that when we come back. Russ Latino, president of Empower Mississippi.
2: This show was previously recorded.
10: (sighs) Why don't you mind your own business?
0: Good Things with Rebecca Turner is brought to you in part by TrustCare, where you'll
2: find a team of experienced, knowledgeable, and friendly staff. Visit TrustCareHealth.com to schedule an appointment today. TrustCare. Feel better, faster.
12: This is Home Answers Radio, and my guest today is Trey Jackson of Bulldog Construction. Trey, if a business has uneven sidewalks, they're asking for trouble. Would you agree?
0: this Labor Day broadcast on Super Talk Mississippi is brought to you by Tico Steakhouse. Come dine with us. Tico Steakhouse, where the locals gather. East County Line Road in Ridgeland. 601-956-1030
7: weekly rx with dr nicole sapphire
11: childhood obesity is a serious problem in the united states affecting over 20 percent of kids this puts children at risk for poor health because obesity is a major risk factor for many illnesses including diabetes cardiovascular disease cancer and even severe covid19 many public health efforts have tried to tackle childhood obesity including michelle obama's let's move campaign However, rates continue to climb, indicating these may not be as beneficial as people would think. There is no single way to prevent or treat obesity, but the best thing parents can do is promote healthy behaviors by increasing physical activity, learning about nutrition, and even reducing stress. A favorite saying in my household is to make sure we are eating the colors of the rainbow. Adding colorful fruits and vegetables to the plate is a great start to healthier living. Healthy habits are important for the whole family, not just an individual. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News.
12: It's Fox Wheels. The end of the classic muscle car era is approaching as Dodge announces it'll end production of gas-powered Challenger and Chargers next year, replacing them with new all-electrics like the Charger Daytona SRT concept. It comes with 60s and 70s era styling that's said to be more powerful and quicker and even comes with emissions-free exhaust pipes. Dodge CEO Tim Kaniskis telling Fox News Auto that the only way the brand could approach an EV future. We
9: got to make it look right. We got to make it sound right. We got
0: to make it drive right. I, I think people are going to be—they're uh, uh, going to be shocked.
12: Full details on the electric Charger Daytona SRT not yet released, but Dodge has said the all-wheel drive concept will exceed the current Hellcat V8's 808 horsepower rating. The production version of the Charger Daytona SRT expected in showrooms by the end of next year. That's Fox Wheels. I'm Jeff Manasso, Fox News.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Middays in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Top Mississippi. Uh, Rhino, please give the kangaroo a sedative. Because the kangaroo on the market is jumping all over the place. In a tranquilizer dart. (laughs) So uh, A-Ron from Madison asks on the C-Spire text line, what about new student loans? So I haven't dug too terribly deep into the mechanics, but my understanding is it's as of a certain date, right, whatever's on the books. What's your understanding, Russ? I
13: think that's right. Um, You know, I, I think what I would say is, because I take this question a little differently is like what happens moving forward Yeah, is this a one time thing or we entered into a situation where every few years we've got to do a new forgiveness Um, and you made this point earlier that the reaction was interesting in that there were people who are more conservative in thought who said well you have a contractual obligation you need to pay your own loan and then there were people on the left side of the spectrum who said well clearly this is just not enough yeah right like You need to do a lot more, and so the the real sort of debate here is a debate over who ultimately is responsible for paying for college.
1: Yeah, agree.
13: And I think there probably is a certain element of the country that is not just looking for, for relief from debt that was too high relative to the degree that they obtained. Yeah, uh, but that fundamentally believe that the government has a responsible to, uh, responsibility. To take care of people from cradle to grave, um, and for lots of reasons, I don't believe that it's not constitutional. It's also not in the best interest of anybody. I agree um, for the government to take care of us from cradle to grave. If you if you look at instances in our history where the government has treated people essentially as wards of the state, those people tend to end up in really bad situations. No doubt about it. Um, success and prosperity are a byproduct of people being able to use their skills, their knowledge, their work ethic to create something valuable that other people see the value in and want to buy. Um, and and it is um, it is a scary commentary if you look at it from a 30,000-foot view that this isn't just about debt relief. It really is about a movement towards more government subsistence for people, that treats people as dependents instead of as contributors, and I think that's a really sad thing for our country.
1: Yeah, I'm totally with you, but we have uh, sort of flipped to a point, Rhino and I talk about it regularly on the program. We're already past the point of no no return? No, I mean, there's this very, I think, um, um, pervasive attitude in this country that Delayed gratification, rugged individualism, individual responsibilities are tenets of uh, European white uh, supremacy. And so, I mean, they're... they're, Gosh, how many articles have we read and and talked about, videos we've played? This is being taught in our school. It's being taught in the private sector, even. That, That belief... That if you believe that
13: having the freedom... To earn prosperity for yourself, that
1: is a form of Eurocentric white supremacy? If you're willing to sacrifice to do so, to wait for some reward, some financial benefit down the road, delayed gratification, yes. Well,
13: it, these are the thoughts of children. Agree, where, where, agree. where do they think money comes from? How do they think productivity happens? The one that shocked me. I mean, like, these aren't serious thoughts
1: by by serious people. <laughs> well, I can tell you. Uh, I'm not but, saying it doesn't
13: exist. Yeah,
1: I, I agree with you, and it's disturbing. It's what I call the march to mediocrity. But one of the first ones I remember us talking about here, this was in 2020, was Sandia Labs. These are the, This is the organization that produces America's uh, nuclear arsenal. And they, like so many other corporations, virtually everyone in the country, they hire this third party diversity, equity and inclusion consultant. They take all the executives off site and they tell them that rugged individualism and having a can do attitude are elements of white supremacy and you gotta just erase those out of your culture. A can do attitude. You remember that, Rhino? I mean we and if, we you, verified if you believe
13: that. in yourself, if you believe in yourself, that's white supremacy. Right. Yes. I, I can't think of anything more destructive than the idea of saying, you shouldn't believe that you have the capability of achieving something that is great. I, I, I cannot think of anything more destructive to the human spirit than that. And it is that it is veiled in this sense of moral superiority is, is abhorrent.
1: The trainers taught that, I'm reading it, Rugged individualism, a can-do attitude, hard work, and striving towards success are in fact, quote, devastating to women and people of color that they are rooted in, quote, white male culture, which leads to, quote, lowered quality of life at work, at home, reduced life expectancy, unproductive relationships, and high stress. It forces the, quote, white male standard. Until we can decide what's good and bad... Who's gonna
13: grow the food? Who's gonna produce the technology? I mean again, these are the thoughts of children who have lived a privileged life and don't realize what it takes to be
1: successful. Okay. Anyway. Well sorry. you know I totally agree with you. It, <laughs> it incenses me. I get pretty fired up. You, and you got, go you got me fired down. up today. <laughs> but and we gotta keep sounding the alarm. We'll come right back. Thank you, Russ, appreciate it. Sam Creekmore, our guest, next. <laughs>
0: This show was previously a super talk, Mississippi media production.